0: week we took a break from our series in Ephesians and we explored the topic of friendship with God so I think most of you were here um, if you were here raise your hand last week because this is a this is a part tour of the message okay what's that did I say raise your hand last week yeah raise your hand this week if you're here last week <clears throat> we didn't get much sleep last night did we Mary? We, uh, we're working off of... Eleanor's been crying, and uh, so it's going to be a foggy morning. So we took a break from our series in Ephesians. We explored the topic of friendship with God. And this is a topic that I've been meditating on for a while. And uh, it's been a, an extremely helpful study for me. And I wanted to share some of that fruit with you. That's really what motivated the, the two-part series. And we're going to finish up this, this study uh, today. And then we'll jump back into Ephesians for the, and we'll wrap that study up um, next week, for the first half of that study. Well, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said, It is the highest honor in the world to be called the friend of Christ. The highest honor in the world to be called the friend of Christ. And it doesn't take us long to realize why that is. We were once treasonous rebels. Yet Christ condescended, he laid his life down for us, he reconciled us to God, and now he calls us his intimate friends. And you can write down Luke 7.34 and Luke 15.32 uh, for some references on that. He's a friend of sinners, Luke 7.34, and he eats with sinners, um, Luke 15.32. That's an an incredible image for the Son of God, The, the thrice holy God who's enthroned in Isaiah's vision is now... In a body, walking on earth, and then in particular, condescending to those who know they're in need, uh, who know they're sinful and need him as their redeemer. And the end goal of our salvation, get this, the end goal of God saving us is to commune with us forever. That's the end goal. So his desire in saving you, redeeming you, forgiving you of your sin, drawing you to himself, is to draw you to himself because he wants to commune with you. He desires friendship with you, as, as staggering as that is for sinful people. And it starts, this communion, this friendship starts now in this life. So last week, we got a brief glimpse, and I'm saying brief, because it was like 35 minutes or so, of, of what our greatest friend is actually like. So we, we highlighted some characteristics of him and his friendship in particular toward us. And we won't find a better friend in all the world than our, our Lord. We looked at some of the characteristics of his friendship toward us, and just to get us going this morning, I want to review some of those. Um, but before, I mean, I could go through them, but why don't we just... What stood out to you, those of you that were here? What do you remember? If you got your notebooks out, uh, look back at your notes. What stood out to you? What was helpful about the characteristics of Jesus' friend? Just shout it out. What were some of them? One of them. He's a constant friend. So what was, what was? flesh that out a little more. Mm-hmm. yeah Yeah, that's excellent. That's excellent. It, he's, you're right. He's characterized by a complete constancy. Um, you were saying it's just he's faithful to us. He's utterly dependent, dependable. Um, he won't leave us high and dry. He's always present. He's persistently committed to our good. I like, uh, in that, the constant idea that he's unwearied by my failings and my weaknesses and my frailty. He's not wearied by that. He's not fatigued and he's not frustrated. Um, we said it like this last week. He hasn't had it up to here, you know, with me. It's often how we communicate. He doesn't change up, he doesn't change on us. He doesn't have bad days, inexplicable mood swings. He's constant and he's patient. So, yeah, that's, that's excellent. Excellent. He's a constant friend. What else? Mine are in a particular order, so if I just if I just shoot them up there, then we're gonna it's like pop quiz over. All right, constant friend. That was one. There were Yep, strong friend. Okay, so flesh that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no one greater than the Lord. So he's, he's enthroned over everyone, and he's committed to us as our friend. So he's going to save and sanctify, change. He works all circumstances to our good. Um, we can come to him, find strength in, in times of weakness. Yeah, that's excellent. He's a strong friend. What else? Familiar friend? Yeah, okay. So, to flesh that out. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's like that friend where you know, you look at each other, you know exactly, you know, where you want to eat, you don't have to talk about it. You just kind of yes, this is what we both want, you're on the same page. So it's just he's very he knows exactly what you're gonna do, what you wanna do. Um, he's constantly like on the same page. Sure. So he's really, he's really yeah, he's profoundly familiar with us, right? And that's Yeah. And on the one hand we talked about how like he knows all of our junk too, but that's at the same time that's encouraging for a Christian because he's he's committed to forgive forgive us. He said he's forgiven us of our sin and that he loves us. He's committed to us. And not only is he familiar with us in the moment, but he also knows Psalm one thirty nine what we're gonna say before we say it. Intentions we're gonna have in our hearts before we have them. So he's familiar with the future and which includes future sin. Um, and yet yeah, he still proclaims the, the, the promise of complete forgiveness. And like we said earlier, constancy, faithfulness to you, all because of what he's done. Yeah. It's incredible. Familiar friend. What else? Got a few more here. Think of the, Think of the easy one. The really easy one. Greater love has no man than this. Finish it out. Yeah, he gives his life for his friends. So Christ is is sacrificial, right? He's selfless. I think that was the word we used last week. He's, He's a selfless friend. He gave his very life willingly and joyfully for us. He took the fall when he was innocent so that we wouldn't have to. And I think if you ever doubt that, his actions prove that he's serious about making us his friends. Think about that. Dead serious, pun intended. And uh, he shows that he's he's committed to doing what's absolutely best for us at at the greatest cost himself. He's selfless. He'll never sinfully use you. Everything he does is for your ultimate good. Um, That's the kind of friend he is. So I'll just rattle through a few more here. He's a compassionate friend. We're not going to find a more tender person than, than the Lord. He's never harsh with us. He never treats us unkindly. He's never irritated or frustrated with us. He always treats us with tender compassion. And even when we're, we're bent low by sin, He moves in to restore us rather than to cast us off and cast us away. We looked at the passage last week about um, Isaiah prophecy that's in picked back up in Matthew, that a bruised reed, He won't break. and He won't snuff out the smoking like a smoking wick. Um, bruised reeds you would you would break them they were good for nothing and he's going to restore those bruised reeds that's a metaphor obviously um, but he won't, he won't do that he's restorative to his people to his friends he's compassionate he's selfless we talked about that he's familiar we talked about that one he's constant he's an honest friend he speaks truthfully to us the old word for this was candor candor he's a, he speaks with candor he's, he's never deceptive he never flatters he always knows and says exactly what we need. He gives us encouragement, rebuke, etc. And it's always in love. Um, but he's also in, in honest, not only is he honest with the truth, but he's also honest with his own heart. He's transparent with us as his friends. That's that John 15 text. He, he brings us in to what he's doing. He's told us. Um, his plan for us. His plan for the world. Uh, he's opened up the new covenant to us. And he's not. we're no longer servants, but we're now friends. Because he's told us what the Father is doing. Um, so he brings us in. He doesn't. He's not guarded with us. He's not skeptical that we might hurt him. He doesn't keep us at arm's length. He's, he's an honest, sincere friend. And like we said, he's a strong friend. He's a strong friend. He carries us in our, our weakness and our weariness. We can come to him. So that was just a little glimpse, uh, and today was a glimpse of a glimpse of our greatest friend. But that's what he's like toward us, and there's so many more. I think I have like, I got a, I got a working list of like 22 characteristics at least, and that was just from these last two weeks of me thinking about it um, as I was processing through other other scriptures. But um, so there's a lot more we could say on that. But today I want to shift the weight a little bit and. And I want us to feel some of our responsibility in this friendship. So he is utterly committed to us as a friend. But friendship is reciprocal, right? It's not just a one-way street. So he's made us his friends, and his goal is for us to actually reciprocate this friendship. So our second message here is, is called uh, reciprocating the friendship in our our, our series here. We're going to talk. What we're going to talk through today isn't anything new, I don't think, for most of you. It might be, and if that is, it's fine. But what I, I want to do today is, you know, we're essentially talking about the basics of the Christian life. And our, the basics of our relationship with Christ. But what's been really helpful for me is seeing the Christian life through the lens of friendship with Christ. It's like a filter, you know, that we're... That, we're overlaying on the Christian life, and it's very transformative. And I think you'll find it to be that way, too. So today, we're going to look at um, four, four ways we can reciprocate his friendship. Pretty simple outline. Four ways that we can reciprocate his friendship. And I might turn to a passage or two. I don't have them on the screen today, so if you're taking notes and you want to jot these passages down, which I would encourage you, just kind of like write the heading and then just kind of jot some passages down to to uh, look at later on your own. But these four ways that we can reciprocate reciprocate Christ's friendship, and these are pretty obvious. But the first way is just to receive Christ humbly. Receive Christ humbly. Now I'm not necessarily talking about conversion here, although that's that's important. That's obviously important. What I'm talking about is receiving His friendship and the word of this friendship, Christ as your friend. And we've got to be sure at the outset that we're actually receiving Christ as our greatest friend. So you're saying why? Why are you saying this? Well, um, let me ask you some questions. Do you find it easier to say that you trust in Jesus rather than that he is your best friend? You know, which one's easier for you? Yeah, I trust Jesus or Jesus is my best friend. Is it a struggle to think of Christ as desiring to commune with you and to be with you? Is it a struggle to think of him as wanting to communicate himself to you and to be the kind of friend to you that we just described a moment ago? It's easier to think, um, is it easier to think of yourself as a servant, which is true and right in a biblical category? Is it easier to think of yourself as that versus a, a confidant of Christ and a friend of Christ? So if, if you answered uh, yes to any of those, um, you need this first point. We need to receive Christ's friendship humbly. We're often tempted to think of ourselves as too unworthy of his friendship. I know I am. And obviously sin complicates things. The friendship with Christ sounds too intimate. We're too aware of our unfaithfulness. Sounds too intimate. Sounds too presumptuous to think of myself that way often. We're unworthy on our end, but he desires it anyway. That's the point. He desires friendship with us for his own glorious reasons. Even if he don't doesn't make sense to you. He still does. But we got. Well, this is what we have to understand. You're not being noble or humble when you refuse his friendship. When you kind of keep Christ at arm's length because you're so unworthy. Like, that's not humility. That's actually pride. Because we're actually not fully trusting what he's saying. What he's communicating to us about, about his love and friendship. And think of it like this. Doubting his love or his intentions toward you is one of the most kind of heinous offenses we can have that we can commit against the great friend, right? We doubt the friend. This Puritan, um, Thomas Goodwin, said it like this. He said, To be suspicious of God provokes him exceedingly, for no faithful friend can endure to be suspected. It breaks harmony between man and wife when they live like this. And the reason is because one that loves and makes a business of it to show himself a friend and counts it one of his greatest excellencies, as God does, cannot therefore bear to have it questioned. Does that make sense? We're actually, we're actually doubting the, the testimony of, of God to being a friend to us when we're saying we're too unworthy for his friendship, even though that's a reality. We are unworthy for his friendship. <laughs> And there are numerous texts that we could we could point to in order to, to demonstrate this point that we that we should receive Christ humbly and that that's what He intends for us to do. Uh, one familiar one is in Revelation 3:20. Revelation 3:20. And you you might not know the reference, but you'll probably know it as we as we talk about it. It's where Jesus says to the the church in Laodicea that He stands at the door and knocks. Right? You've, we've all heard that sometimes in evangelism contexts and, and other things, but, but in that text, he's talking to a church, and they're lukewarm, they're kind of, they've kind of, you know, they're not real zealous for Christ, and he's essentially saying, I think one reason they're not zealous for Christ is they're not communing with Christ. So the, the picture is that he's sort of outside the door of the church, if you will. And he's standing there, and he's knocking, and he wants to he wants it to open so that he can come in and dine with this the people of this church. And again, just a metaphor. So the metaphor is that he wants to come in and commune with the people of this church, and that's his intention. Even to lukewarm believers, uh, that's what he wants. Another text I just read, and so it's it's in here. It's probably not even the best one, but I was reading in Psalm eighty-one yesterday, and it's it's a psalm that. Um, is rehearsing what God did for Israel, and he kind of makes his point. Like I saved you out of Egypt, I brought you to myself, and I don't want you to have any other gods before me. And then he says in verse ten, "Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it." So this this sort of open-ended offer from God to so hey Israel, just metaphorically open your mouth, and I'll fill you up. Uh, that's, that's, that's God's heart toward his people Israel. Then and you know, now through Christ to us today. Psalm 81.10. And all this just reminds us that the end goal of our, of our reconciliation to God is friendship with God. Put it differently. The end goal of our union with Christ. We've talked about that and we've seen that over and over in Ephesians. In Christ. The end goal of that is communion with, with him. It's becoming friends with Christ. So that means, to wrap this first point up, we must receive his friendship by faith, humbly, and gladly. All right? Receive it. We must let him in, if we want to keep the metaphor of of Revelation going, we've got to let him into our messy home, believing that he wants to commune with us. We must allow him to pull his chair up to our table and eat our meager little meal that we've made for Him. We must appropriate all He says about Himself to us as our greatest friend. As the one to whom we turn and we stake everything on Him. And this is the doorway, this is point number one, this is the doorway to reciprocating His friendship. If we don't do this, none of what I'm about to say is going to matter. We have to we have to receive Christ humbly and joyfully. We can't reciprocate what we haven't experienced, in other words. So if you don't know Christ this way, you're not gonna be, and you're not progressing here, you're not receiving it, there's unbelief in your heart about what he's saying to you, and you're not going to enjoy any of the other benefits of Christ. So once you've welcomed him in, then, now it's time to get to know him. And that's our second and, and really third way of reciprocating this friendship. They'll go together. We can say know Christ delightfully. Know Christ delightfully. And really our second and third point, it's the the third one, I'll go ahead and and give it to you here. I'll put it up so you can see it. Is speak with Christ honestly. Is that what's up there? Yeah. Speak with Christ honestly. So you'll you'll see the parallels here Bible and prayer, you know, the two standard um, things that we think about when we think about our relationship with Christ for good reason. But I want you to think of it in terms of friendship with Jesus. Okay, So Jesus knows us perfectly and he desires to communicate himself to us. So that's him. That's on his end. He wants us to know him. And as as his privileged friends then, we should pursue this intimate knowledge of our king, of our friend, Messiah. Imagine trying to cultivate a friendship with someone in Balmas without any communication with your friend. None. You know, not even sign language. Okay, so no, no form of communication. It's impossible. So knowing Him is a is central to actually growing in our, our friendship with Christ. If we don't know Him, we're not going to trust Him. And what I want to emphasize here is that that we want to know Christ, and I said delightfully in the outline because it's it's a it's a delight. If we are if we are knowing him and communing with him in the way that he intends, and it grows, the delight grows. You know, it may wax and wane, but when we're when we're receiving what Christ is saying about himself to us, um, there's peace and joy that flow that flow from that. Knowing that Christ is for me and not against me as I read the Word, that He delights in in communicating Himself to me through His Word, these things fuel the joy, fuel the delight. And it it progressively deepens the friendship. So again, lots of texts we could look at, but um, you can jot down Luke 10.39, where the familiar story where you've got the two sisters, Mary and Martha, and Jesus comes into the house, and Mary chooses to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his teaching. It's actually a pretty shocking story, because you would think Mary's doing the right thing. And Mary has a right to be frustrated. I mean, I'm sorry, Martha's doing the right thing, and Martha has a right to be frustrated at her sister. Because she's making necessary preparations. Without getting into it, it just Jesus commends Mary for sitting at his feet um, and and listening. You know to his to his word. She's chosen the better portion, he says. And then this is also Paul's personal heartbeat for his life in Philippians three, seven through eleven. He talks. You know, he talks there about desiring to know Christ. Um, and that's the pursuit of his life in this, this deepening knowledge of Christ. So we want to know what's, what's close to the Lord's heart. We want to know what he's promised to us. We want to know what things he's let us in on in terms of his plans. We want to know especially what he expects of us and what his will is. And as we do that, we, we grow in our, our intimacy in, in the friendship with Christ. So what does this look like? What, it, what does it look like to kind of grow in this area practically? What's all the things we normally think of? It's valuing and leaning into the Sunday sermons as they're taught. you got men who are appointed here in various classes, and then Pastor Brian in the morning service and evening service, who's teaching us from the Word. That's Christ ordaining all of that and communicating himself to you. So again, you see the overlay of friendship on the Sunday sermon? Christ is behind those men. He's behind this this teaching interaction. He's, he's seeking to commune with you in this. So discuss those sermons with others. Make that a priority. Think through them during the week. Don't just let it be a Sunday thing and then you're done, as we so often do, but, but come back to those messages and think through, um, really the, review them during the week and think about how Christ intends to, to communicate himself to you in those in those truths that you learned. And then find ways to practically apply them in your life. So, the Sunday Sermon is key. Um, right along with that, consistently meditating on His words to you. Uh, consistently meditating on the truth is another way to, to foster that, that knowledge of Jesus. He won't reveal Himself to you apart from His word. So, even if you go up on a mountain and you're by yourself and you don't have a Bible, what He's going to be prompting and revealing to you, if it's God, is going to be Truth. Okay, truth that you've internalized, truth that you know. he doesn't work apart from that. And anything that's contradictory is not from the Lord. He's not going to reveal himself to you apart from his word, apart from the renewal of your minds in Romans 12. That's how Roman, That's how Paul talks about it there. Jesus talks about it as abiding in Christ in John 15. Um, abiding in his words. He says, if my words remain in you... Uh, That's his kind of parallel statement for what it means to abide. For him to abide in us is for his words to remain in us. And so I think it's really important that we have daily times, a daily time or daily times, to hear from him in his word. And what this looks like is going to be different for every single person. But the point is that we want to commune with Christ. We want to get his word in us. We want to cultivate the friendship that we have with Christ. And the fundamental way to do that is, is knowing Him, getting His Word in you, and I would commend to you to, if you can, do it toward the beginning of the day. You know, I've heard this familiar phrase of tuning your instrument before you play it, um, versus trying to tune it while you're playing. You know, while you're playing the the instrument. So, I um, just want to commend that habit to you, if it's possible. And don't like Mary and I were talking about this this week. Like, don't I, idealize your quiet time. You know, your Pinterest quiet time, where you have got your pour over and your all the things, you know, whatever whatever it is that you have. Um, the goal is to commune with Christ, so you can you can if you've got a window. I mean, our lives are crazy right now um, with kids that don't sleep, so we're we're trying to figure that out and um, and, and get in there and, and stay. We fail a lot at communing with the Lord; He's faithful to us, but the goal, I think, we have to be motivated. To know Christ and to actually develop that friendship with Him. And having that daily time, however you do it, however long it is, however condensed it is, um, has its goal as bringing Christ to me through His Word. And the time that you spend with Him, okay, the net effect of that time should be an encouragement. It should be a nourishment for your soul. If that's not happening, then, like, you're not abiding, okay? It doesn't mean you have to have all these feelings, but it should nourish you. Christ intends when the word is open, even if it's conviction, even if he comes to you with a hard word, the goal of that word is to bring you around back to himself, to nourish you. Conviction is a grace, and it means he's for you. It means he's intending you to repent for a greater peace and joy. And the, the Psalms are full of this theme, that in his presence there is fullness of joy. We may not feel that all the time, But that's a reality that with Christ there is joy and he wants us to abide so that his joy is in us. This is John 15. So that his joy is in us and our joy is complete or made full. That's Christ's endgame for you and me through abiding in him. And right alongside of of hearing from Jesus, like we can see in in, uh, number three here, is uh, speaking back to him. And that's the third way that we reciprocate this friendship. I'm just saying, speak honestly with Christ. Thomas Goodwin, a boy that I quoted just a minute ago. Um, <laughs> he would probably, the Puritan would have been like, your boy? What? Yeah, right. Uh, he described it like this. He said he encourages his readers to unfold your secrets to him. Unfold your secrets to the Lord. I just like that. I like that, the way he said it like that. It's helpful. Speak with Christ honestly. So Christ has revealed himself to you. And he he desires the same thing from you. Okay? To reveal yourself to him. Even though he already knows you. Okay? So his omniscience, don't let that trip you up. He already knows. But as your friend, he moves in close to hear your heart. And you can't get very far in a friendship if you're not transparent. Transparent. And it's completely foolish to be not transparent with the Lord because he already knows, right? <laughs> um, he's going to smell you out before you even start. And the same is true with our friendship with Christ. We've got to be honest in that, that friendship. But get this, guys. He's not rushed with you. Christ isn't rushed with you. He's not checking his watch or social media. Or waiting on something bigger and better to come and occupy his time or wait for you to stop talking so he can go do what he needs to do? That's not the Lord. He's pulled up his chair. He's ready to intently listen and understand more profoundly than any other human being ever could. So pour out your heart to him. Empty your soul to him. That's the way the Bible describes this kind of prayer. Pouring out of your heart and emptying of your soul. That's the language of Scripture in, in communion with God. And again, there's so many texts we could we could throw on this, but just clear, I'm trying to stick with the familiar ones, so we don't have to necessarily turn there. First Peter five, seven. Peter tells the church to cast all your anxieties on him, on the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. That's the picture of just a burdened soul of a Christian coming into the presence of, of Jesus of Christ and just laying that all out, you know. Picture if you got a kid trying to carry luggage, you can't do it, you know, and then the dad comes in and just takes it, you know, takes the burden. The kid doesn't even help, right? The dad just takes it up on his back. And um, that's the idea here, speaking with, with Christ honestly, rolling those burdens on the Lord, casting our anxieties on him, if you want practice in this area, just pray the psalms. I mean, they they are just chock full of, of illustrations of how a psalmist can relate to God with honesty and integrity um, and truthfulness. And it might, you know, we're not Old Covenant anymore, but there's a lot of carryover, um, a lot of carryover. So pray those psalms, and maybe uh, there's some good resources out there that, that help you navigate that. But if you want, you know... Express specifics here on maybe what this this prayer time, or I'm not, not prayer time, but just what the this kind of speaking with Christ honestly would be characterized by. I'll just list a few of them out here for you. Number one, tell him your joys. Okay, what thrills your soul, what you're thankful for. You know, because he's at the bottom of all that. He's the one that actually provided provided all that for you in the first place. So tell him your joys, just like you would a friend. Tell them your burdens, number two. Tell them your burdens, no matter how light or heavy they are. Remember, Christ isn't wearied by heavy burdens, and he's not bored by light ones. Okay? He's given them to you, he's given these burdens to you, and he desires your joy in the burdens. So seek him to see how he might want to accomplish that joy through those burdens. He might take them away, he might not, he might leave them. He might have a purpose in them for you. He, we know He has a purpose. So tell Him your burdens. Number three, confess your sin to Him, your struggles and your questions. Right? You sin against your friend, what do you do? You have a close friend? I mean, you, you make it right. Christ is our greatest friend. Why would, we, why would we neglect confessing our sin to Him, our struggles and our questions? And without this, without, without being honest here, and humble in your confession, your relationship with God won't grow. Put it a little differently. Um, your relationship, like as you grow in your relationship with Christ, you will become more aware of the heart sins. Like, painfully aware of them. So you will, you'll know, you'll become more confident in Christ's love for you, but you'll become more painfully aware of how you, you're unfaithful from your heart. So confession will be part of your your relationship with him. Ask him for help in the areas that you need it. Like we said earlier, he delights to empower you. Ask him to do things through you, things through things through others in the world. You know, intercession, that's typically what we, we talk about when we talk about intercession. Acknowledge his involvement in all of your circumstances. Working everything for good. I think my computer just died, so you'll have to hang with me at this last this last point, alright? And without honest prayer, we're not going to grow in our friendship with Christ. We cut ourselves off from peace and joy. We cut ourselves off from the serenity of our souls that transcend our circumstances. And yet we have this tremendous privilege in Christ, and and he desires to hear us as our greatest friend. So that was number three. Speak honestly, I think. Speak with Christ honestly. Number four. I just clicked my clicker, force a habit. Oh. obey Christ willingly. Number four, obey Christ willingly. obey christ willingly and i'm I'm turning to John fifteen I'm fourteen here, so I'll already be there. so this obeying Christ is part and parcel of our friendship with Christ and I'll cover this quick because we've only got a few minutes left and you might think okay well how does this relate how does obedience and friendship relate well they're they're very similar you know you can think for the word obey substitute loyal and loyalty think how you're loyal to your of friends okay and now imagine that friend was the greatest person on the planet okay now obedience seems a lot more Relevant, right? Okay, so I obey this person. Um, but it's not out of, out of servile fear. It's out of a position as a friend. Um, out of a position as a friend. So I'll read to you John fifteen fourteen. Well, I'll, I'll start in 13. Greater love has known than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. So, you are my friends, verse 14, if you do what I command you. So, obedience is central to proving our friendship with Christ. But as we look at this, this obedience thing in a minute, I want to think of the negative side and the positive side, okay? So, the negative side is that we have a fear of displeasing him. As you would a fear of displeasing a very great friend. okay, Someone who has done much for you. When you least deserved it. Um, it has a particular sting in our hearts when we think of, when we think of it in this way. Again, Thomas Goodwin asks us to hear the Lord saying something like this to us. I have loved you, God says, and chosen you as my friend in Christ before the world began. I have delivered my son unto death for you. And with him I have promised to give you all things. Heaven and glory and everlasting kingdom that I prepared for you. Not to tell you how many sins I have pardoned when you first came to me and ever since. And will you serve me like this? Is this the kindness that you show to your friend? puts our disobedience in a, in a new light. So there should be, as the friendship is setting in, a, a fear of displeasing him as you as you would fear a displeasing a great friend. And our communion with him will grow as as this happens. There should also be, on the positive side, a seeking to please him as you would a great friend, right? A seeking to please him. Obedience to a friend is simply being loyal to that friend, and especially a great friend who has gone to great lengths to rescue you. And what John 15 here is saying is that we prove to be Christ's friends. We don't become Christ's friends by obeying Him. That's not what he's saying. He said earlier in John 15 that you're already clean. Meaning that He's already, he's already forgiven you and cleansed you of His own initiative by His Word. But we prove to be His friends by our obedience to Him. And that's really the only litmus test, right? And you can say you're friend to Jesus all you want, but if you're constantly... Um, you know, habitually in all of your life, you never have a thought to what that, how your life is reflecting on your greatest friend, then you're probably not his friend. Our friendship is borne out, it's proven by, demonstrated by our obedience to him. And this puts our obedience in a whole new light, not merely as servants, but as his, his choice friends. Notice how Spurgeon puts it. He says, Christ is pleased to regard me as his friend, And to write me down in the honored list of intimates who are permitted to speak familiarly with him. As those do between those whom there are no secrets. For their hearts are told out to him whilst he hides nothing from them. Get this. Beloved, in what a light this sets obedience to Christ's commandments. This transfigures our obedience and makes it the joy and glory of life. The joy and glory of life; it transfigures our obedience. I love that. So we should seek to please Him, as you would a great friend. And I, I've got a few more things here on this, but I'm I'm just gonna I'm I'm gonna wrap it up here. Uh, actually, let me say the last thing: be willing to sacrifice for Christ gladly as your greatest friend. Okay, this is an aspect of obedience to Him. Be willing to sacrifice for Christ gladly as your greatest friend. we count it a privilege to sacrifice for those that we love. For those that we respect and that we are endeared to, it's it's the highest honor to sacrifice for them. How much more should we count it a privilege when we suffer and sacrifice for Christ? The apostles did that. They counted it a privilege to suffer for his name and for the and, and not just suffer but sacrifice much for the sake of his mission. So, that, that will be definitely an aspect of our, of our obedience to the Lord. So these are just some of the ways okay, that we begin to reciprocate the friendship that we have with God. These are not exhaustive. There's lots of things we didn't talk about. Um, but again, my main goal in this message was, was to encourage you to see the basics of the Christian life through this lens of friendship with Christ. So your Bible reading, your prayer, your corporate worship, all those things, Christ is behind them seeking to cultivate communion with you, friendship with you. And it's our greatest privilege in this in this life. So, after a message like this, just take inventory. Um, is there a particular area that you need to, to renew your mind in? You know, one of these areas? Um, start thinking differently about? Uh, man, I've, I've, I've viewed it like this, you know, and that uh, I haven't viewed my sin this way, or, or, or whatever. Um, talk with somebody about that. And Seek to grow in your friendship with Christ this week, you know, kind of as a result of these two messages. So we're going to transition back to Ephesians, and the reason I was thinking about this theme is because there's there's the prayer that Paul prays in Ephesians three, the end of Ephesians three, it's just beautiful and kind of you know we're gonna see it's right in, right along the lines of, of these, these things. So we'll be back there um, again and we'll finish up at least the first half of Ephesians for the semester um, next week. So look forward to seeing you then. Let's pray.